0: Welcome to the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature.
1: This was a scar that needed to be tattooed. So it was with 80 young people from the juvenile justice system that we began the tattooing of the scar where the river once ran. It's all alive, it's all connected, it's all intelligent, it's all relatives.
0: Scientists tell us that concern with the environment will no longer be just one of many issues in this new century. It will move to center stage. It will become the context of everything, of our lives, our businesses, our politics. We are, in fact, moving from the information age to the age of biology. In this series, The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature, we salute the Bioneers, the biological pioneers who are working with nature to heal nature honoring both traditional native wisdom and modern scientific knowledge. Restoring the earth by changing the world. Since September 11th, we've heard the word evil used a lot. The visionary biologist Lyle Watson wondered if what people call evil has any parallel in the natural world. In his book, Dark Nature, A Natural History of Evil... Watson explores the ecological conditions that are most often present when humans do evil things to one another. It turns out there does seem to be an ecological component acting when horrors like genocidal mass murder or urban gang war drive-by shootings are committed. One common environmental condition that Watson finds present is that people have become disconnected from their place. When we're uprooted abruptly, along with our connection to a place, vanishes our history, traditions, culture, and memory— As roots are cut, conscience and caring wither. That's when very bad things can start to happen. Watson finds that bad things also begin to happen as biological diversity diminishes radically. When the rich variety of the web of life gets dramatically simplified, the humans in that web also start to run amok. Evil, as Watson describes it, grows well in monochrome monoculture. Perhaps evil ever was and ever will be, but can we limit the conditions that breed it? Connection to place. What does that mean today? Biodiversity is clearly essential, but how do you cultivate cultural diversity? In this program, we hear from artist Judy Baca. She has found that what we appreciate appreciates. Surprisingly, by bringing art and community to the wounds of a river, she was able to stop drive by shootings and gang violence. With art, she's reconnecting people to place. By celebrating diversity, she's healing a wounded culture. Join us for the next half hour as we explore tattooing the river, people, place, and the art of diversity. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature.
1: My grandmother, who was very much like a small Apache, never speaking English, moving through the world with a view that was quite profoundly different than all those around her, told me, looking at my artwork, a minimalist painter that I had become after the 70s, she said, what is it for? (laughs) When I stepped out of art school, I began to examine what art was for.
0: Judy Baca is an award-winning painter whose name is often mentioned in the same breath as the great Mexican muralists Diego Rivera and David Cisqueros. She's the founder of the Social and Public Art Resource Center, or SPARC. A native of Los Angeles, she's a professor at the UCLA Cesar Chavez Center for Interdisciplinary Studies and UCLA World Arts and Cultures Department. In 2003, she received a prestigious Guggenheim Fellowship. Judy Baca works in the rich tradition of muralism. The muralist uses wall space as the canvas. Historically, it's an explicitly public social art form for public engagement to convey socially relevant messages to people. Connection to place is central to its power. Judy's answer to Grandmother Francisca's question, what is art for, is now found on walls and bridges around the world. Her quest to answer that question has transformed individuals, communities, and the artist herself. Judy Baca spoke at a recent Bioneers conference.
1: Everything had a place in Francisca's world. The little plants that grew by the water fountain, The verdugas turned into greens that went into the frijoles. All of the plantings had special remedies. In Francisca's world, everything had a purpose. I want to tell you that all of this is about answering her question. It's about what the purpose of art is and what it can do in the function of a society. And it's really about speaking to people I knew and know in the communities of Los Angeles that are marginalized and perhaps are not the places where you would think art should be. It is in the poor and working communities, the places which beauty is considered to be superfluous, that it is so critically important. So with that, I'm going to begin excavating the story, remembering that the purpose of a monument is to bring the past into the present to change the future. Almost all cultures believe that memory resides in place. We don't know how, but we know that when we go to the fields of Gettysburg or we go to where a particular event has occurred, that all of that history is somehow there and that we can feel it and we can know it. So much of this work is about the memory of the land. And if we could, for example, excavate that memory, what would we hear? What would we see in those places?
0: If memory resides in place like in the still battlefields of Gettysburg, if a monument brings the past into the present, to change the future how do you relate to a river that's been turned into a cement drainage ditch that's what Judy confronted in the Los Angeles River the once wild and flood prone river had been systematically paved over between the nineteen twenties and nineteen seventies to guarantee future property values and profits for developers concurrent with paving the river society had been paving over the city's cultures most of them uprooted from other places Just like the rest of America, Los Angeles has been undergoing massive demographic shifts, pushed by new waves of immigration, migration, and displacement caused by gentrification. In the L.A. Unified School District, people speak over 129 languages. But the burgeoning growth in populations of racial minorities and changing demographics have also resulted in an increase in hate crimes in L.A. County, over half of them committed by juveniles. Enter the artist with an idea to transform some long cement walls. Again, Judy Baca.
1: It was in 1974 that I faced the river for the first time with the Army Corps of Engineers who had completed their work, 30 years of building concrete rivers, culverts, that created tremendous environmental problems, necessitating spreading grounds, mosquito abatement, removing the water from the aquifer, and all of the other concurrent problems of disappearing a river. The Army Corps of Engineers had developed a plan called the Aesthetic Planning Division. The Aesthetic Planning Division was to kind of deal with what they had made. Could it become beautiful again? What could we do with a river that had dirt belts on either side and children falling into it and all the kind of concurrent problems of rivers hardened? It was in that year, in 1974, that I proposed that we tattoo this river, that we begin a process of working to bring different groups of young people from all over the city to one site. This was an important thing, because in the city of Los Angeles, our neighborhoods were divided by geography and by um, great distances, and also by huge cultural differences, the Flood Control Channel provided a site in which it was possible to bring young people from all over the city to one place and begin to work on a narrative that would become our story, the story of all of us together, in 13 and a half feet below the ground level. And it actually came from an experience I had in East Los Angeles, and I'll tell you this story briefly. I was painting on the streets with gang members, organizing peace treaties between different neighborhoods, when I met a young man who was an incredibly powerful leader. His leadership was directed toward um, organizing young kids in in his own benefit, which was toward the the making of a gang. He was quickly interested in the idea that the walls could become neighborhood newspapers, that they could be transformed into something beautiful, and that people could be united. His history caught up with him when we were painting in a place called um, Hollenbeck Park in Boyle Heights, a mural called Mi Abuelita, My Grandmother. And it was a grandmother whose arms were outstretched in a band shell. It was the first mural I produced with these kids. And at that mural, Fernando left after working all day, and um, he had excelled as a leader. His leadership was pointed in the right direction. And uh, he went to his old neighborhood and was attacked by an opposing gang and was stabbed 13 times. He nearly died. But he made it through this incredible experience and came back to the completion of the mural. And as we stood together, all of us, the team, welcoming Fernando, back. kid said to him, what? How are you doing? I mean, how are you feeling? And he said, My body's okay. He said, But every time I take off my shirt, my body is a map of violence. And it was this that I thought of when I saw this site, that this was a scar that needed to be tattooed And as we developed images for tattoos on Fernando's body to transform those scars, we thought of the river in the same way. So it was with 80 young people from the juvenile justice system that we began the tattooing of the scar where the river once ran.
0: The first project of its kind. Over the course of nine summers, the Great Wall of Los Angeles, as it came to be called, brought together over 400 at-risk youth from diverse socioeconomic and ethnic groups to paint what is now the world's longest mural at half a mile long. Judy Baca realized in the process that restoring a disappeared river meant restoring disappeared cultures. Again, Judy Baca.
1: Could we work together? Could we bring young people from different neighborhoods who had long histories of division? to talk about what we had in common, to share each other's stories, and begin respectfully to understand each other's history. This was a process that I was learning at the same time the kids were learning. Making the young people part of the story is really critical. Why is history important? Why do you need to know what happened before you if you are going to be controllers of your own future? Why were you disappeared? Why were there no Latinos in the history books? Why did we not see what Native American people had done? Why did we not see the achievements of African Americans all over history, and uh, American history? Important were that these kids who all came from different ethnic groups did not paint simply their own history. They began to own the history of each ethnic group, a mixed group, understanding that all of these stories were our stories. And I might add that many of these kids were considered to be incorrigible by the people who... Uh, referred them to me. They were happy to give me the kids. He said, here, you take them. Um, but it was much harder to develop the resources. So the process of producing the half-a-mile-long mural
0: took me 12 years. The Great Wall of Los Angeles Mural Project, a 12-year project restoring a disappeared river. 12 years in which young gangbangers became young adults with a sense of place, a sense of history, and a better sense for their neighbors. Roots forming in L.A. around a work of art, a community becoming a work of art. More from Judy Baca when we return. This is Tattooing the River, People, Place, and the Art of Diversity. My name is Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. Given that over half the hate crimes in Los Angeles are being committed by young people, the prospect of bringing together big groups of at-risk youth from very disparate cultures to paint a mural at a cement-lined river might have seemed like a really bad idea to some people. But not to Judy Baca. She's become a vocal advocate for youth. We spoke with her at the Bioneers Conference.
1: We have a very strange relationship to youth. It's a very odd culture that we live in. We first adore youth. We long for it. We try to preserve it. We do everything that you can possibly do to ourselves and some of which is somewhat crazy. I mean, from implants to Botox, uh, trying to maintain it. And then we actually despise it. We despise its vigor, its rebelliousness, its um, need to make itself unique and individual. And we try to press young people into conformity. The number of places that adolescents can be adolescents has shrunk. Fewer and fewer places exist where they can actually participate with each other, play, uh, express themselves, and be who they are. And I think that's a great worry. So many pieces of legislation have come down the pike as of late that make it more simple and people are more readily willing to incarcerate youth. And we have tremendous numbers of people who are finding imprisonment more available than education. That is a huge mistake by this time we're living in. There's tremendous talent and capacity within our youth, and it really needs channeling. People have uh, spoken about our streets as the skin cancers of a society, as the young kids have written on walls. And they have created felonies out of this uh, writing on walls so that it's possible for a kid to do three strikes and three felonies and end up in prison for life for making art on public streets. Now, I've received death threats for saying as much as what I'm saying right now because I have defended the adolescents. There was a piece of legislation that was being proposed by the city council in which they were following the um, lead of Singapore that had started to cane kids with uh, public beatings. And people were saying, this is a great idea, let's do it in our Um, city council, let's cane kids because they've written on walls. And I wrote a piece in the LA Times that said, who will flog the adults? Because in fact, what we've told these young people so effectively and so profoundly is that fame, getting your name into lights, the celebrity is the most uh, important thing in our culture. And so why do we fault them when they try to write their name large on the side of our freeways? So that every you know that a few hundred thousand commuters will have to read their name that 's the message that the culture has given them, even kids who have named their their crews you know um, just missed us or you know born for fame or i mean you, you see some of the names that the kids have taken on, and so I think there's problems around the proper expression for youth, the channeling of energies that are youthful and creative. And we um, typically, historically, have used wars as a way to reduce the male energy and to refocus it and send it off to fight foreign wars. Um, there's got to be better ideas about what to do with that kind of strength and creative capacity, and I think there are. I think allowing these kids to participate in the creation of public monuments to to find spaces for their creative outlets, both in spoken word and performance and visual arts, are really critical To us understanding the youth culture, to the preservation of these young people, um, and for their advancement. Because telling their story, having it heard, hearing others, makes them the most human they can be.
0: Judy Baca learned through this process, working closely with youth, that the greatest value of the Great Wall, quite apart from its artistic value, might be its social value as a teaching method that focuses on interpersonal dialogue and relationship building. The process of human exchange, telling our stories, having them heard, hearing others, in itself resets the social compass. When Judy was contacted by people in Durango, Colorado, a small isolated town of 8,000 high in the Rocky Mountains, she could hardly have imagined its Los Angeles-style problems of ethnic conflict and drive-by shootings among the Anglo, Hispanic, and Ute Indian youth there.
1: A group of high school kids started to write emails to us and they said we know that you work on land and memory and and we followed your work on the Great Wall. I had a fan club of high school kids. And we have your artwork hanging in our schoolroom. But here in, in Durango there's only 8,000 of us and we are having drive-by shootings like L.A. We've had a Southern Ute kid and Chicano kid shot at and we're really getting worried that we're starting to deteriorate into the problems of the urban centers. And then I get writing. I'm thinking, there must be some amazing teacher back there somewhere because they're thinking and they're writing these critical things. And sure enough, there's this wonderful teacher who writes me, and she says, I'm part of the Latino Education Project, and our kids wonder if you'd come and speak. And I said, yes, I'm working in Denver, and I'll come.
0: She journeyed to Durango and after several visits began work long distance on a digital mural, using the Internet to carry on the work of creating a community mural.
1: It was Southern Newt, Anglo kids who were descendants of the miners, kids who had come across the border, the first-generation migration of, of Mexican people, long history there. Underlying the whole problem of this sort of drive-by shootings and struggle was that they didn't even see the mountain that everyone lived at the base of well, they didn't even give it the same name. Some thought it was Mother Mountain. Others called it Silver Mountain. Each was remaking history on this place, right? And in addition to that, wealth had come from the East Coast and was buying up their property so that the wonderful old stone houses and beautiful houses of that sorry, cowboy region and the dreams of the American Western cowboy were being taken up by New Yorkers. And these kids' families were becoming service workers within the service industry to rich tourists. So now they were competing. They were forced into competition. The mine had closed. And so there was an economic base for this problem between these ethnic groups. So we set up a series of workshops in which the dialogues began. When did your family come? You know, what did they do? And what were the contributions of this group? What happened when they came? And it was really, really interesting for those kids to begin to have those talks. And through this whole sort of dialogical process and uh, workshopping techniques that are both theater and visualization, they were able to come up with a series of questions for each other and a a kind of interesting building relationship with one another. And in the process, we created a piece together remaking the memory of the land to include all the different parts and basing it on the youth youth cycle of life. In each case, whether it's newly arrived immigrants coming into a Mexican neighborhood from El Salvador, whether it's the ethnic conflict between Koreans and African Americans in South Central or in the mid-city, there is a basis for the conflict. So that's part of the story. The part of the story is just putting people... In conversation, finding the ways to make those conversations possible, and working on something outside of themselves that they can invest in and that they can achieve within a finite period of time. And sometimes it isn't important whether you dig a ditch or you paint a mural. The outcome really is the relationship between people, and that's the process. More important than what you make is that you make something together that you dream something together, and then, then you make that be in the world. And that's the power.
0: Today, the mural co-created by the young people of Durango and Judy Baca is installed in the center of town as a visual representation of their common history. After being created on the Internet, it was output from a computer employing large-scale printers used by advertisers. If the mural is ever damaged by the elements or by vandals or by censors, it can be replicated. Another of Judy's murals hangs in the Denver airport, La Memoria de Nuestra Tierra, The Memory of Our Land, which tells the story of her family's migration from Mexico to the southwest as part of the region's larger Mexican-American history. She believes that computer technology has a unique capacity to bring muralism into the 21st century. For one thing, it allows the artist to use not only painting but also photography and other visual media. For another thing, it is portable and can be assembled virtually at long distances by collaborating teams. And it permits the archiving of huge amounts of research materials, which can then be made available on the web, a virtual library of historic materials, text, photos, personal interviews on video and audio resources.
1: At the Great Wall, the kids said, we should take what we learned around the world. Let's move it to other countries that are in battle with each other. And so, as a result of suggestions from 16-year-olds, we began a process of the creation of a piece called The World Wall. And it basically took one segment of the Great Wall and moved it from site to site. In each country to which it traveled, we asked artists to do their job again, not to be worried about marketing paintings, not to be worried about um, the kinds of things that historically we have been engaged in, sort of commercialization. But what would happen if actually we began to do our work in such a way that we ask each other to envision a different future. All of us are part of the solution, and certainly the dreaming and imagination of artists are critical to our movements, and we need to be working together again. So, thank you very much for hearing me tonight.
0: Today, Judy Baca is working to systematize and distill her process into a curriculum that will be applicable to all grade levels from kindergarten through high school and university. Her writings on community-based art practice have been published in a book entitled Community, Culture, and Globalization. By applying art to the wounds of a river, Judy Baca was able to stop drive-by shootings and gang violence. With art, she reconnects people to their place. With art, she revives disappearing histories, reawakens community stories, and repairs cultural root systems. In the art-making process, she embraces diversity. With art, the evil spawned of rootless isolation and monochrome culture evaporates around Judy Baca like mist. It's not so much what you make, she says. What's important is that you make something together. Grandmother Francisca started it all off with that question... What is your art for? Judy has artfully answered it, and the answer is growing. With Judy Baca's art, the good heart of humanity returns. And that's good for the earth. Tattooing the River. People, place, and the art of diversity. To find out more about the work and writing of Judy Baca and all the participants in this series, and to find out more about the annual Bioneers Conference, call Bioneers toll-free at one 246 6337 That's one eight seven seven 877 bioneer or visit the Bioneers website at Bioneers.org. To become a member of the Bioneers, or to buy a CD of this program, please call the same number toll-free, 246 6337 If you're listening to us outside of the United States, you can reach us by calling 505-986-0366. To read more about the work of the Bioneers, check out the Bioneers Anthology book series, which includes Ecological Medicine, Healing the Earth, Healing Ourselves, Nature's Operating Instructions, The True Biotechnologies, and Ecological Literacy, published by Sierra Club Books. The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Collective Heritage Institute, Executive Producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Kenny Ausubel and Neil Harvey. Managing Producer, Stephanie Welch. Production Assistants, Ginny McGinn. Distribution is by WFMT Radio Network. Original recordings provided by Conference Recording Service. Judy Baca was interviewed by Diane Solomon. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Rykodisc label. Additional music was made available by Sounds True, at www.soundstrue.com. For more music information, please visit Bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the Underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in improving the environment by changing the world. This is program number 0705.